Welcome to the Mind, Sex and Spirit podcast with Caitlin Cook. This is the place for intelligent, expansive and no-fluff explorations into embodied awakening, healing and growth. Today I'm joined by Patrick Alterman, a Christian pastor, sacred sexuality is to facilitator, Bhakti Yogi and Enneagram practitioner. I am deeply fascinated with this man's quite radical, autonomous and authentic journey through spirituality and faith. And in today's show, we talk about that. So we discuss the difference between religion and spirituality, the six stages of faith, going from the more literal to a more personally integrated faith, sex positivity and queerness in Christianity, spiritual autonomy and deconstruction, and how to safely and joyfully and autonomously explore spirituality with the, without the fear of being duped. So as I say, Patrick Ultiman is a Christian pastor, is to facilitate a Bhakti Yogi and Enneagram practitioner, and he is the perfect man to talk to about this stuff. He's trained in theology, counseling, and shamanic sexuality, and his teaching goes way beyond authority, dogma, and societal norms. He's an expert on postmodern faith, interfaith, diversity and anti-discrimination, radical Christianity, tantric Christianity, sexuality, gender and faith, martial arts, hermeneutics, and he's basically just a badass. And he also lives in Sweden. So very happy to have Patrick on the show with us. So welcome to the show, Patrick Ultiman. Thank you. Thank you. It's good to, good to be here. Mm, yeah, I'm super stoked to be talking to you about Christianity, spirituality, and your journey to meeting God, meeting power. So let's begin. Can you tell us a bit about your first experiences with Christianity? And yeah, were you raised Christian or what, what were some of your sort of first meetings with Christianity? So are you asking for my first meeting with Christianity specifically or my first meetings with God? Because it's vastly different. Oh, yeah. Well, tell us. Explain the difference. So I've considered myself always been a believer or whatever you want to call it. I think uh, as long as I can remember, I've had sort of a fascination for that other. (laughs) I think one of my first religious experiences was, you know, being 10 and uh, having read some resource books for a role-playing game and read about the various different religions in there and then taking one of those... Wait, wait, wait. Your first experience of religion came through role-playing games? Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Um, I love that. That's so good. What, you mean like Dungeons and Dragons? Yeah, the Swedish version of that. I love it. You're my hero. <laughs> Taking one of the deities out of this book and making a little altar out in the woods and and making my own little prayer and supplication thing going on and and I think that was my first first like religious experience. Mm. And sort of always having the sense that that there is the other. There is this this power and being fascinating with all religions, really, throughout my early teens. And then, you know, at some point, coming in contact with the Christian church and, and being absolutely blown away by the, by the kind of community and fellowship and acceptance and love that I experienced in that. So, personally, there was no religion in my home. My mother and my stepfather that I lived with for most most of my upbringing um, were heavy into drugs and drugs and and rock and roll. It was real hippie without the spirituality mm. of any kind and uh, yeah it, it was uh, it was very messy and and not very happy. And I think what really made me come into the church to start with was this feeling of a place where where I was being accepted and loved. Mm. And that was my entrance in, into the kind of Christian sphere, if you will. 
So it was kind of love that got you into the church. Yeah, absolutely. Can you also describe what you mean by religion and also what what you mean by spirituality as well? Because there's like religious experiences that we can have and spiritual experiences that we can have. Okay. For me, religion is the man-made construct. The way that we organize our spirituality in little groups and and um, like churches and, and denominations and whatever, what have you. So for me, religion is the man-made construct and spirituality is the, well, it's, it's the language of our spirit and how our spirit speaks and senses, if that makes any sense. Yeah, 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 no, definitely. And so with your first experiences in the church, because you later came to work as a, or study as a priest, a pastor, and then mm-hmm. work mm-hmm. in that role. Mm-hmm. Was was that something that you kind of felt yourself drawn to from the very beginning, or was it kind of more something that emerged a bit later? Well, that's a funny thing. My, um, my grandmother, I think, uh, made the statement when I was three years old that I would either become a, a, politi- a politician a priest or a teacher. Uh-huh. I think that once I came into the kind of Christian realm, because I was so, I threw myself head on, right? I, I really deep dove right away into, into what does this mean and, and studied like scriptures, like, yeah, like it, it was the most important thing in the world. And so, so having made that deep dive, I started, I think I was 13 when I held my first Bible studies and and started teaching. Hmm. So it kind of came naturally and, and evolved out of that. Yeah. And did, so there's the spirituality and another teacher of mine talks about spirituality is actually singular, really, is sort of like there's a primordial root that all religions kind of draw on from and and all kind of spiritual practices but there's like sort of this core of the divine father the divine mother and this sort of yeah love actually as the sort of the basis of it all and then there's the different sort of religious um like there's sort of the the root of the tree and then there's the many branches and i guess christianity has its particular leaves on the its branch and characteristics and when you were discovering Christianity and kind of falling in love with the love of Christianity that was present there what were you able to kind of accept all of the religion as it was or were there some things that didn't quite fit right with you or yeah just didn't flow right with who Patrick Alterman is and how he expresses himself on the planet (laughs) That's an interesting question, and and I think not the easiest one to answer. Because of the way that that the Christian religion is built up um, and the way that, that, you know, church, especially evangelical churches work, I don't want to say that it erases who you are, because I don't think that's true, but it kind of demands conformance, right? Conformity? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so... In what ways, actually? What do you mean by that? So so for me coming into... I mean, I started in a Christian youth group in a Baptist church. And, and coming into it, what I felt was acceptance and love and, and this idea that there, was, that there was this benevolent force that was looking out for me, uh, which was great. And then learning about this, this benevolent force, you kind of just accept what comes after. Because you come in as a neophyte, mm. you know nothing, and people tell you this is the way it is, and you go, oh, okay, and 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 you kind of accept it. So, so I think at the beginning, definitely at the beginning, I didn't do much questioning, and and I I. Um, I, I drank the Kool-Aid and I swallowed the whole concept and I very quickly moved into, you know, a, a very fundamentalist, six-day creationist, turn or burn kind of Christianity. Mm. You know, I 
there's there's this uh, this uh, scientist named Fowler who who posited that you have like six different stages of faith, mm-hmm. uh, starting with with uh, when you're born, all you know is you know pain or pleasure, uh, heat, cold. You you don't have any concepts. You just you just have uh, emotions, like direct sensations. Direct sensations, yes. Yeah. And then you move into the next stage where you where you have a very literal belief, and you believe in the tooth fairy, and you believe in Santa Claus, and you believe that God is a an old man sitting on a cloud with a big white beard, right? Mm-hmm. And and that's the second step. And the third step of faith is is like a communal tribal faith where you where you believe what is told to you so that you can belong to the community. Mm. And and when you're in this third stage, you you're served you're served your belief from the pulpit or or the tribal leader or whoever. And you kind of accept it because because that is the price of admission. That's that's how you belong. Hmm. I feel like that's also present just in culture as well. It's like the we're served this idea of how much money we should earn, how thin we should yeah. be yeah. in order to belong. So it's it's yeah. like within like maybe within religion and spirituality, and then also wider as well. But yes, yeah. please continue. It's really good. Yeah. No. So so for me. For me, this is where where most Christians congregations live in this third mm-hmm. stage, mm-hmm. and because tribal be- belonging is a it's like a, a primal drive. Yeah. It, because you know, if you were cast out of the tribe, you died, and and that's where our our kind of biology comes from, and so so it's something that's so important to us. And I think also because the, the the doctrine talks about if you're not in this, not only will you be an outcast on this in this life, but in the rest of your eternal life as well. So yeah. it's kind of like it's a double whammy. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And and then, you know, and because this is the tribal faith, the tribe will defend the faith. And so so if somebody mm-hmm. questions it, you kind of form ranks against the questioning and you're like no 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 this is how it is because this is what we're told now this is where it gets funny because the fourth stage of faith is the questioning and the deconstruction Mm. so the next stage is where you start going hang on a minute i'm not so sure that this is right and it's a natural development of 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 any faith (laughs) yeah and so you start asking questions. The problem with the evangelical and the Christian branch of your spiritual tree is that once you enter that stage, you are suddenly being the backslider, the apostate, the heretic. Mm. Yeah, it's not really celebrated, is it, as a as a no. stage of maturation? No. And then as you deconstruct and you you tear everything apart. When that lands for you, you enter the fifth stage, which is integrated faith, when it's my faith and not the tribal faith. And so to to actually enter that stage of just being being absolutely at peace and rooted in your own faith, you have to go through the whole questioning. You have to go through the deconstruction and construct your own, to just own it. And say, mm-hmm. yeah, this is actually what I believe, regardless of what the preacher says or what the community says or what mm-hmm. some guru says. Um, and and you enter that stage where you're no longer threatened by people who have different beliefs. And then Fowler goes on to posit that there's a sixth stage, which is kind of a universal. When you become the Dalai Lama or the Mother Teresa and your faith has global consequences for other people. and. Mm-hmm. And and this really mirrors my own journey because I came into and became very fundamentalist and very, you know, all in this. Very stage three. Very much. And mm-hmm. and telling people they were on their way to hell and, you know, doing all those things. And then as I studied my own faith and I went deeper into it, questions arose. And I started asking those questions and deconstructing and and 
been greatly aided because there is a movement of deconstruction with the emergent churches in in the states and and other other movements within the Christian faith that that are actually starting to ask these questions and celebrate stage four and five. and celebrate it and yeah. uh, and and coming out coming out on the other side with with something that very much is my own and that has landed and and is deeply rooted within me and obviously well i mean there's a lot of strands coming in but when i started my own church or started i was appointed uh pastor of my own church here in malmo my goal was to create a stage four community a community where we could ask the difficult questions and and kind of live in the questions together and not not just deliver answers but to live in that space of of inquiry the space of of not taking anything for granted and kind of the real life space where we not only celebrate you know hey i prayed to god and i got a parking spot this morning hmm. but to actually say you know what bad things happen to good people and we have no idea why and there's pain and suffering and and we can we can kind of live in that and and still believe in this other this divine force of love that is at the center of all things Mm. It's interesting because when you talk about I've also been at stage 3 and it wasn't it wasn't because I was being a jerk it was just that I was so deeply in love with Jesus Christ and so so believed everything that I was reading and being told that I was just super enthusiastic and wanted to tell everybody about it especially if I knew that they like they potentially were going to have this like shitty thing happen to them like going to hell but I was like, oh, fuck, i got to tell people about this. And so in some ways it was kind of innocent and naive, the, the stage three for, yeah. for me. And then, and then I also got to a stage four where, well, there were things that also just never quite sat super well. And then there sort of became this turning point or this breaking point where suddenly it's like everything was suddenly being questioned, whereas before I would never let myself question anything Mm. and then and then I entered into this huge space of maybe there's like stage (laughs) 4.1 where some people (laughs) go down where I became really anti-religious and I saw it as a really dangerous kind of pathetic avenue that humans went down because we didn't have answers and so we thought we'd make them up and I and I saw it as a yeah like instead of the pastor being the person that I would look to and the Bible is the the text that I would look to I would instead I went to university lecturers and books about you know theory and philosophy and that became my religion even though I would I wouldn't say that at the time and I actually became like really really yeah anti-religious and it lasted mm. many years until and I never ever chose to look at spirituality again or and not religion either but I became so mentally unwell with the kind of ideas that were going on in my head around my worth being something that I need to earn by being thin by being having Mm. a certain amount of money getting like particular grades like really you know standard kind of shit that I thought I was too smart to fall victim to and it wasn't until I was um sort of forced to explore therapy and meditation that that was a a doorway that was a mirror actually it's like opening up a door and then just finding a mirror behind it and not knowing that was going to happen um but I was I was sort of yeah I was like sort of tricked into exploring these more subtle realms of spirituality self that I, I never meant to but I, I I just you know when you're talking about stage three and stage four and that questioning it's like that can go on for a long long time oh, and yeah. also take us into these places of like really um 
adamant objection as well. And I wonder if if that how that how long that period was for you, and if there were these sort of twists and turns, or like like objection or like loss and longing and sort of depression, even in the absence of I don't know. Or did, did you do you feel like you ever lost God in that process of questioning? Well, I had a very interesting process in that. Uh, first of all, I was already the pastor, right? When when you went into stage four yeah. of the questioning, excellent. Yeah. You're my kind of pastor. <laughs> so I I was I was already you know standing in the pulpit preaching as I went into this. Interesting. Uh, so that's part of it, you know. Yeah. Um, I I'd like to posit that you know that the absolute core of the Christian experience is what St. John of the Cross calls the dark night of the soul, or, you know, the, the, the ultimate expression of the Christian experience is, is Jesus on the cross crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You know, that place of utter disillusionment, the place mm. of, of, of coming to, to realize that the big secret is that there is no secret. And and to to almost land into a, a sort of a sort of Christian atheism of sorts, hmm. where where you you lose that uh, that image, all the idols that you have in your head. Because I I truly believe that that you know we create this image of God that is the biggest detriment. To actually encountering God, mm, I love that. Yeah. So for me, the 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 process definitely there was a lot of loss, there was a lot of sorrow, there was the feeling of having the the rug pulled out from under my feet, like I was free falling. There was a time when I stopped praying. There was a time when I definitely stopped reading the Bible mm-hmm. because I just couldn't stomach it. Mm. However. There was never a point where I lost this sense of of the divine other. The, I I never ever let go of that idea during this. How could you not though? Like, is that not still bound up? Because for me, it was completely bound up with all of the stories in Christianity and the Bible and my what my parents said. And it was the baby with the bathwater. Somehow you were able to just throw out the bathwater and kept the baby. Well. So I think it is because my experience of the divine was pre-Christianity. Mm, true. And so that sense of the divine and the source was always there, whether mm. or not. And even though I made Christianity my entire world, my entire language, it was just the clothes. It was just mm. the dressing up of, mm-hmm. of this connection that I sensed that I had to the divine. And mm. so I I never lost that. But I did I did have a radical wardrobe change. <laughs> to fishnet and high heels probably. <laughs> sure. Sure. Oh, I've I've been through all of them, I think. But <laughs> but um yeah. I so this while I was having this ferrisectomy, um I think. Uh, Wait, that was a metaphor, right? The pharisectomy. What's a pharisectomy? Removing the Pharisee. Oh, okay. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> so while I was having this process going on, I think I think I just fell deeper into love, and slowly, little by little, I was just shedding these constructs around me. And and recognizing human constructs and human tradition, mm. and being willing to just rip it all apart and say, okay, what do I do with all of this? What what ideas do I keep? Where do I go? And and for me, it was a uh, yeah. I, I I did look into other religions. I had my whole tantra journey. I had my whole into Buddhism, into Sufism. And the more I the more I dove into these other things, 
I, I always ended up finding these mystics of each tradition in the end just saying the same thing mm-hmm. and finding that yeah. core. You know, so if you read the Christian mystics, you read uh, Thomas Merton and St. John of the Cross and, and Teresa of Avila, or you read like Kabir or Hafiz or Rumi, or, you know, you pick your mystics of any tradition, their language is so similar mm. that you could interchange them. Yeah. And coming to this sense of of just knowing that in the end, there's there's only this source. The, the yeah. source, which is love, which we are all part of, and landing in that, and then recognizing that you know we can make up any ritual, we can make up any any construct around that, and as long as we don't you know mistake the finger from the moon, and believe that our construct and our our ritual is the divine, mm. it will serve us. Yeah, I really love that saying. When I look at when I point at the moon, don't look at my finger, look at the moon. And actually it's funny that you brought that up because I was thinking about that as you were speaking. It's like we get so obsessed with which, what, what is the finger doing? Is my finger longer than your finger? Is it straighter than your finger? And it's like we're just pointing to the same thing, whether it's Islam, Christianity, mm-hmm. plant medicine, meditation of any variety, yoga, like it's all pointing to the same thing, which is love. Mm. And sometimes we get a bit obsessed with the finger and competitive with the finger. But yeah, yeah I, really, I really love it. As you're describing it, it's like in your research and questioning, it's like you're discovering it's all the same and it's just all love. And, you know, we, we get caught in this immature masculine, my finger is bigger than your finger, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's straighter, it's bigger, it's better, it's prettier. What I'd like to come to, really, is to recognize the unique gift that each of these flavors have. Mm. And just within the Christian branch, there's, you know, the gift of, that the Pentecostals bring, or the gift that the Baptists bring, and the gift that the the Methodist bring or the Salvation Army or whatever whatever branch of Christianity you're looking at, they all have a unique understanding of the divine. Mm. As in, there is one thing that they have gotten and they know it well. And if they could just come to the table and say, here is my gift and serve it at the table for everybody else to partake of their unique gift. And then, you know, invite, invite all the others to come and say, okay, here's our gift. And then broaden that table up to invite the, the Muslims and the Hindus and the, mm-hmm. you know, what have you. I, I, I truly believe that, that boiled down, there is a unique gift that each expression of, of religious whatever has. Mm. And which is a gift to all of us. It is looking at the divine and seeing one piece and saying, this, this is really beautiful, let's celebrate it. And once we let go of the exclusivity and say, well, we have seen this and this is why we are right and you're wrong. And if we just drop the you're wrong and say, so this is what we know about the divine. And then we all bring all of that together. Then, you know, it would be like a huge buffet table where were all these amazing and beautiful insights into into source would come to light. Mm. I think it's interesting what you say as well, though, about like, you know, in the stage three, you're receiving knowledge given to you by someone else, mm-hmm. whereas in stage four and five, you're discovering and remembering knowledge Mm. yourself and Mm. I guess the thing with being at this table with all of this wisdom it's like rather than kind of being spoon-fed from each of those plates it's like yeah I don't know just this kind of like autonomy and independence and it's and it's like I can't say how many times someone's told me something and it's been knowledge that I've appreciated and then I've gone and found it myself that very same understanding but it lands in this different way because it's like it's not in my head it's Mm -hmm. actually in my body at that stage it's like my Mm -hmm. body knows that truth not just my mind and so I really like what you're saying about um yeah like the 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 sort of later stages where it's actually something that's derived from within not given to you from without 
Well, and and it's this society we live we live in that you know we live in a in a head heavy top heavy society where mm. everything is about the mind. Like all university and all school, it's about like this is how you do maths, this is how you think, this is how you mm-hmm. analyze. Mm-hmm. It's not about mm-hmm. feeling. It's not about connecting with yourself and with anyone else. There's this tragic teaching, especially in the in the evangelical church, how. You know, you can't trust your emotions. Your emotions will lead mm-hmm. you astray. Mm-hmm. Can't trust your body. You know, and and exactly, you can absolutely not trust your body because obviously, your body and especially your sex will lead you will lead you astray. Whereas I found that if anything can lead me astray, it's the mind. Mm-hmm. The yeah. mind is the piece that's really messed up and and mm-hmm. makes up these incredible stories of you know whatever and can can lead me into all these really weird alleyways whereas when i drop down really into my heart it will lead me it will lead me straight when yeah. i listen to my body when i listen to my heart when i listen to my you know my entire being then i can i can be at peace but especially for me, yeah, the mind is very seldom at peace. You know, the mm-hmm. monkey brain is very much alive and it's doing all sorts of things. Yeah. So scripture tells us, says the preacher, that mm-hmm. above all things, guard your heart because from your heart comes this, the, the life. Mm-hmm. And we've just lost that in this society where everything is about the mind. Yeah. And it's funny because, like, in the reading I've done since leaving the church and even when I've dabbled in the Bible since, yet there is this real emphasis on the heart and the heart is where your power is. The heart is actually where God lives within you. It's like Mm -hmm. the the access point to God. And so I think it's kind of ironic that there is this kind of um, mistrust of – and the heart communicates through feeling – and feeling mm-hmm. in the body. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, this mistrust of the body, this mistrust of feeling, it's kind of like it's actually disconnecting us from our greatest power, which is God. It's like disconnecting us from God within us. Well, you know, and, and if you look at Christian history, there's we took a great detour uh, when it comes to, to the body and especially sexuality with St. Augustine. Mm-hmm. You know, there was this big fight between St. Augustine and Pelagius. And the fight was over over original sin, and Saint Augustine said, "You know, we're we're born sinners." And Pelagius said, "No, no, no. Every child is born innocent, but then, because mm-hmm. of the construct that is the world and our society, we we always fall off the path." And in the church, uh, the the Roman Church, uh, obviously they. I say obviously, but I assume that they sided with what will give us the most power. Mm. And and people being born sinners definitely gave the church more power than than saying that human beings are inherently good. The side part of this was that because they sided with, with St. Augustine, they also took on all his other teachings. And mm. and Augustine was was a pedophile. I mean, he writes about this in, in his text that, you know, because he has this attraction to young boys, sexuality is inherently evil and should be shunned. And this became the main line of, of what the church, you know, taught because they took on all his teachings. And, and I think that's, that's where the whole, the twist from being a very, life-affirming faith to becoming a body-shaming, really, you know, taking, moving away from recognizing your embodied self as, as something beautiful, making it something dirty and something horrible. It, it could be so simple because if having a body was so horrible, then why, why, or oh why would would the divine get dressed up in a body and and incarnate? Mm. So at the at the core of this, the ultimate miracle that is Christianity is this 
queer move of crossing all boundaries well where the divine crosses over to become embodied and experiencing all the all the experiences of being in a body and having a body mm. I think this is a yeah perfect segue actually because I wanted to speak to you about um, sexuality spirituality Christianity mm. power mm-hmm. God and how they all mm. come together because you in your exploration started to include more sexuality and the body as gateways to the divine. Mm-hmm. So can you talk a little bit more about that actually? And I can, I can just read a quote as well that I read yesterday, which is kind of perfect timing. It's by um, Lee Albert in his book, Amazing Grace, which is actually a book about um, the plant medicine Iboga, but he talks a lot about the journey to wholeness of, of which there are many avenues, including Iboga, including different spiritual practices. He talks about sexuality. He says, sexuality is not simply about the sexual act. It is primarily about the sexual force and the spirit it channels, which leads it, which leads to the full psycho-spiritual maturation of the individual. Its present leads to a deeper connection to life and the hidden knowledge this brings, which is necessary to make us whole. The churches demonize sexuality, thereby perverting the individual from reaching full physical and spiritual maturation, leaving in its wake a torrent of confused feelings and insecurities. The journey of humans to wholeness is one of the development of harmony between one's soul and one's nature, including the body. This is fostered by the removal of underlying pain, fear, trauma, and neuroses as these block the relationship between the two. I thought that was a really good quote. Mm, mm. And I wonder, yeah, if that could lead us into the, yeah, the topic of sex and spirituality and where, yeah, what you started to explore and understand is the relationship between sex and God. Hmm. So, yeah, I think we could fill another hour with just, just <laughs> scratching the surface of that one. Yeah. You know, for myself, it all started with love, right? How can we as a church be more loving and inclusive? And so we started unpacking the whole LGBTQ thing. Mm-hmm. And with the specific intention of becoming more welcoming, more open. And, and as we started unpacking, it was this great theological and, and very, very head-based head, uh, arguments about you know how can we do this how can we open up the church and 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 we always you know kind of landed in well as long as it's long-term committed relationships we can we can bless it because god is love and and you know until we kind of got to the end and we landed and we we were trying to unpack the q of the lgbtq Uh the whole concept of queer is is like this pandora's box right uh-huh. And and as we were unpacking that, there was one point as I was reading about some of these queer and kinky and all of this, that I realized that I'm no longer talking about them, you know, them, huh. the, the homosexuals or the gays or the lesbians or the transgendered. Mm. Or, but I realized that I was touching on things that were actually alive inside of me. Interesting. And so it became, it went from being a, a, a theological discourse about, you know, how do we include others to becoming a very internal, how do I fit into this puzzle? Interesting. Yeah. And as I did, all my friends who were also pastors in different places, they were like, we can deconstruct church, church ritual, we can deconstruct liturgy, we can deconstruct, you know, these things. But then we stop. And I said, hey, hang on a minute. We need to deconstruct marriage. We need to deconstruct sexuality. We need to. And every time I'd move into this area, people would shy away. And then, you know, at the same time, being a pastor, sitting, sitting in session after session, doing couples counseling, talking to people with marriage problems. And nine times out of 10, there would, would be either body issues or issues, other issues with sexuality between the, the spouses. Mm-hmm. And recognizing that the only tools that the church offers is, you know, pray more and read your Bible. <laughs> yeah. And, and I don't know about you, but it's not very sexy to pull out your Bible in the bedroom. 
Well, it's also like when the when the issue is with your body and with two bodies coming together, reading a book and putting your attention on something else outside of you is, I don't know, it kind of seems ant- antithetical to <laughs> the medicine, you know? Like, it feels yeah. like the healing needs to happen in the body. Yeah. No, absolutely. Yeah. Anyway, so that was that was the beginning of my search and going going into this field of sacred sexuality, starting with tantra and then looking into shamanic sexuality and and all of these different pieces. But then, you know, lo and behold, finding a deep, rich source, this sexuality within the Christian tradition, mm. because there is there is no other subject in the Bible that has its own book, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm. The, there is there is no other subject than sexuality that actually has a whole book in the 66 books of the Bible that is actually dedicated to it. And that's the uh, Song of Solomon. And that's the Song of Songs. Oh, the Song yeah. of Songs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A- again, you know, the Bible, the Bible, being this thousand-year conversation about how do we how do we approach the divine and what's our relation to the divine. Has a, has a fairly big part talking about and, and being sex positive and celebrating, you know, absolute carnal, mm. which was a beautiful thing to find and, and made me wonder why I hadn't found it before. So, yeah, uh, that was the journey into, into the whole sexuality. And then, then looking at, you know, queer theology and, and recognizing that there are so many ways that we could be reading the scriptures, and and there are some ways that maybe we should be reading the scriptures. Mm. Um, mm. I, I just I, I know that we're <laughs> we're entering the uh, end of this conversation, which maybe we'll do another podcast about this because <laughs> it it's definitely very juicy. But uh, knowing that there's so much in those scriptures that actually uh, not only talks about sexuality, uh, but actually celebrates it. And that mm. was a big find for me. The thing that I find really interesting about you you talking about this is like you were a pastor mm-hmm. and this was unbeknown to you, you know, like mm-hmm. you were someone who was geeking out on this stuff all the time dedicating your life to it and yet there were still these nuggets and sort mm-hmm. of hidden truths and I guess it kind of in a way like it just kind of like I just I just imagine what else is hidden in this field of wisdom mm-hmm. of Christianity of Christian mysticism mm-hmm. that you know like for me uh, in 2006 or whenever it was when I threw the baby out with the bathwater and I said Christianity is lies and made up and and along with that I said God was made up too but actually like there's so much there's so much more to Christianity than what I thought what I thought I knew of even at my heights of passion of Christianity you know Mm. I'm really loving hearing you talk about this because it's like there's actually so much depth there and so to say oh Christianity is sexist anti-queer you know all the things. It's like, yeah, actually, kind of, you kind of need to hold your tongue because. Well, I, I here's here's what I like, right? First of mm. all, Christianity is made up. You know, we, mm-hmm. we just need to we need to recognize that it is made up, and Christianity. As in, it's the dress that is that yeah, dress yeah. the divine, yeah, which is across all spirituality and all religion. Yeah, yeah, but but seeing also that the dress that is. Christianity has been represented by a large body that I'd like to call the churchianity. Ah, uh, yep. Which is, you know, creation of this behemoth of the Christian church that is so reliable on the on the ABCs of church planting, which is attendance building cash, right? Uh, I need yep. people to to attend my congregation so I can get this building by, by getting cash from them so I can get this building and then I need to keep up the attendance so I can keep this building going and pay for my salary and I can, you know, and it becomes mm. this game where it's more like marketing than than loving, yeah? Mm. This whole churchianity 
treadmill, if you will. It's really perverting the message and making it more manipulation than than just love and and openness and grace and and all the things that I think that it should be. And and so so I definitely broke up with churchianity, you know. Mm. And large part of what is what is called Christianity, you know, I don't find very Christian. Because if Christian being Christian is being like Christ, then accepting the foreigner, loving your neighbor, being forgiving, being all about grace, inviting, you know, hookers and sinners and thieves into the kingdom, that should be just like our our mother tongue if if yeah. we were truly representatives of Christ. And so yeah. So where are you at now with it? Like, because you're you're a teacher in sacred sexuality. You teach with ISTA. You have had your congregations as well. You do life coaching mm-hmm. and supporting people in their spiritual path. Mm. Yeah, where are you at with God now? And how how do you explore your spirituality now? Like, is the Bible still involved with that? Is kink parties involved with that like how how are you exploring god now well i had the the fortune of you know starting as a baptist becoming a pentecostal and getting all that speaking in tongues on and all that crazy spirituality and then ending up with the salvation army which is very focused on on you know helping the poorest of the poor and and being that force in society that speaks up for the little person Mm-hmm. And one of the beautiful gifts that the Salvation Army has to bring to the table is is this idea of of the sacramental life, meaning saying that there is no there is no ritual or you know there is no item, object, or ritual that is holy because all of life is a sacrament. So every time you share bread with somebody or share a meal with somebody, it is the the Last Supper and the sacrament. Every time you take a bath, it is your baptism. And having this belief that every action that is uh, an outward sign of this inward love and grace that I have inside is actually sacred means that... It's actually very tantric as well. It is. It is, absolutely. So coming back to that mystical core, right? Yeah, totally. So, you know, I celebrate my my connection with divine source every time I, I share a meal with somebody, every time I share a cuddle with somebody, every time I go to a kink party, every time I... It, mm. It's all expressions of this sacredness. Mm. And, and also... Also... When I read my Bible or, or when I, I read something else that moves me and touches me deeply and, and echoes that divine, divine love into my life. Mm. Yeah, it's beautiful. And just to wrap up, I, a final question. So I'm just imagining like myself mm, five years ago, maybe longer, maybe 10 years ago when I was sort of like really in this space of like being adversarial with religion Mm. and kind of this sense of like, I don't know, just not sure if I could believe or like, like I I really felt once duped. So then I'm twice shy, you know, Mm -hmm. like it doesn't feel safe to surrender to this knowledge again because I did that once before and I feel like I, I got taken advantage of. Mm. So I guess yeah, I just wonder if you have any advice or words on that, like like in terms of exploring whatever God means, like how, how to do that in a way that feels authentic, in a way that feels safe, in a way that feels empowering rather than giving my power away. Hmm. Whew. Yeah. Well, my, my first thought is to just pursue love. Hmm. And to, you know, if it walks like a duck and quacks like a duck, it's probably a duck, right? That's the saying. So I don't tell people to go to church. I don't tell people to to do anything, really, but to 
but to really listen deeply to that that still voice within. So mm. Thomas Merton writes that that the only way to know God is by fully knowing yourself. Mm-hmm. But it, because it is only when you completely and utterly know yourself that you are open to recognize the divine within and therefore also connect with the divine without. Yeah. And so so I would I would completely say, you know, make that journey journey inside mm. and find that gold inside yourself. Find the divine inside yourself. Love yourself. Start there. Mm. Once we're there, then the gates open to securely and safely in a, in a way where I can hold myself and not become dependent on anybody else's love or teaching or acceptance i can i can explore everything outside mm, beautiful and there's a million ways to do that as well yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. not just one way yeah beautiful awesome thank you so much patrick that was such an awesome conversation and i would love to have you back for another dive into spirituality and sexuality as well Thanks for listening to the Mind, Sex and Spirit podcast. For more resources like this, to work with me one-on-one or to join me for an event, visit caitlincook.com. Sign up to the newsletter for monthly inbox gems about the mind, sex and spirit. And you can also find me on Instagram and Facebook at The Caitlin Cook. I want to say a huge thank you to our sponsor for this podcast. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And if you enjoyed this episode, please visit patreon.com forward slash Caitlin Cook to support the next season of the Mind, Sex and Spirit podcast. Your support really helps. So thank you.